right, well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Vintage. I am Steve Hambrick, pastor here at Vintage, and I am really glad that you're here. Did I see Maddie McMath over there? Oh, there's Maddie. So a lot of you know Scott and Lori McMath and Maddie and Delaney and Hayden who were here at Vintage. Really, we Vintage has been built upon the foundation of the McMath family. Um, and, whew, it's good to see you. Sorry, very unexpected. All right. So I'm just thankful for Maddie being here. She's going on the mission field soon. She's going to be sharing with us next week some. Uh, but if you see her this morning, uh, we, just, we love her. We bless her and her family. And if you see her, just love on her this morning and tell her that you are glad that she is here. And you can't wait to hear about what she's going to be doing. All right. Well, hey, we, so how many of you saw The Incredibles 2 this weekend? Anybody? Yeah, there you go, Matthew. Yeah, man, so The Incredible Story. I have to say, like, it's one of my favorite movies. I've got to be honest with you, I love any movie or anything that has superheroes involved, because I remember growing up thinking that's all I wanted to be when I grew up, right? And so, so in honor of an Incredibles, uh, Incredibles uh, 2 coming out this morning, I'm about to do The Incredibles 1. There's a scene in Incredibles 1, right, where Mr. Incredible, who's yet to really be able to, to launch back out into being him fully himself, right? He parks his car, he gets out, and there's that kid sitting on his tricycle, Remember that kid? And the kid said, and he looks at the kid and goes, what are you waiting for, kid? And he goes, I don't know, something amazing, I guess, <laughs> right? And I remember watching, he's like, yeah, me, kid, me too, kid. Because that's that that defines all of our lives. If we're, if we're honest, we live our lives with a desire for the amazing, something, something amazing, something miraculous, something spectacular in our lives. We want things to not be boring. We prefer that they be exciting and preferably be outstanding and preferably be, be amazing. And so this morning, uh, as I, what I want to do is I'm going to read from Acts chapter 4 here in a moment. Because what I see in person when I read through Acts chapter 4, verses 32 and through 35, honestly, is the truly amazing of the Spirit's empowering. The truly amazing. Now, yes, when we read through the Gospels, we read through all of Acts, there's lots of things that are amazing. But there's something unique, at least in my opinion. So I just go ahead and state that very clearly. Like I say, truly amazing. This is something in my mind that I read is my opinion. Like this is one of the most truly amazing things that we find in all of Scripture, and especially all of Acts, that, de- that defines the truly amazing of the empowering of God's Spirit. And we talk about, I talk about the empowering of God's Spirit for the simple reason. We've been in a season, kind of after resurrection, leading up to, to Pentecost and beyond, talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. He's not the forgotten God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. They're all like, you've seen this, the, 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 this idea of being three in one, Right? It defines our evangelical theology. He's not the forgotten God. He is the person who is working in the lives of all believers in the lives of the church. And so in Acts 4, I see the truly amazing of the Spirit's empowering. So you can just follow along on the screen as I read. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. 
For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. And the scripture goes on to the story of Joseph, who we know as Barnabas, who took a, a field or land that he had, he sold it, and brought it to the apostles' feet to be given to those who were poor and in need. When I say poor, I want you to think about powerless. I want you to think about those who did not have any means in their own strength to bring breakthrough and to have financial stability in and of themselves. And so what I want you to do, this is my opinion, but I believe the truly amazing, in my opinion, is the powerful expression of selflessness in these verses. The truly amazing of the work of God's Spirit in this, in my opinion, is the expression of selflessness that we see being expressed and exhibited in these verses. And I want to begin here this morning and talk about the truly amazing, because when we think about the power of God and we think about the truly amazing in the book of Acts, it's not uncommon for us to come and tell stories about Peter's shadow healing people. For blind men or women seeing, right? We tell the cool story of like Philip preaching to the eunuch, Ethiopian eunuch, and he, and he gives life to Jesus, and then he's like translated back to Jerusalem somehow. Like, that's pretty powerful. Who understands? But like we talk about these things, but here's my question for you. Which do you think is more an expression, like more of an expression of something amazing? A person praying for a miracle and it happens, or someone taking all or half of their possessions and giving them away to those that are in need? Like, which one in our culture seems more amazing? Like, you, please give me grace. Like, you know, like, they're all amazing. I'm just saying, in the context of our culture, which one seems more amazing? Someone taking time out of their day to pray for a miracle and to see healing occur? Or for someone to take half of their bank account and give it away to someone in need? Like, I don't know about you, but if I were asked to choose which one I felt more comfortable doing, let me pray for healing all day long and keep my bank account. Got to get an amen. Like, this is a tension. There's something amazing in this moment, right? Because for me, it's far less costly just to pray for healing for someone. So what we find in Acts 4 to me, in Acts 4, to me, seems truly miraculous, amazing. We see the young church in verse 32, man, they're unified. They're unified in heart. They're unified in mind. They're going after things. They're going after Jesus. They're, they're working together. They're loving one another. And they're expressing a selflessness. They're expressing a care for others, honestly, that had never been exhibited before to the point, according to verse 34, that there were no needy persons among them. Like, have you ever processed what that means? Did he really mean that there were no needy persons among them? Did he really mean that, or was he just, like, saying it? Was he kind of using his exaggerated language to say that there were lots of people who, who were actually receiving, or were there literally no poor among the community of faith that was going on in the early church? I tend to, I tend to be a literalist in this. I think he actually meant there were no poor or needy among them. And that, to me, isn't that truly amazing? It's truly, truly amazing that there were no needy persons among them. And here's the thing you have to recognize. Like, when you read that, you think early church. 
But you have to recognize that when the readers of Luke 2, right, second Luke, the book of Acts, right, when the readers of the book of Acts were reading this, they said, oh, my gosh, he's using the language of Moses to explain what's going on in the early church. In fact, every theologian that I read, every single commentary I read in preparation for this talked about these verses, Acts chapter 4, 32 and 35 or 36. And they spent a little bit of time talking about stuff and they spent a lot of time talking about Moses' words in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 4. And so when you read it, I want you to become knowledgeable and understand that Luke, when he uses these words, is alluding directly to 2,000, a couple thousand years before in the words of Moses. And every single reader of Acts would have understood Luke is using the language of the year of Jubilee from Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is huge. This is huge. He's making connection to their biblical history. Now, I'm not going to go back and read all of Deuteronomy chapter 15, but I would encourage you to do that yourself this week. But, but in this, in this script, in this, in Deuteronomy 15, Moses, speaking on behalf of God, creates the expectation of the year of Jubilee. And without going deep into its meaning and expression, let me just simplistically define it this morning, is God's intentional role of empowering his people to care for, aid, and bless those who have economic need. Basically, in chapter 15, he's coming and saying, hey, this is the year we cancel all debts. Those who are in abject poverty, we're going to find ways for you to provide for them. For in verse 4, if we do the year of Jubilee, there will be no poor among us. There will be no poor among us. It's a direct allusion back to Deuteronomy chapter 15 in Acts 4, verse 34. It's directly connecting the church's actions as a fulfillment of sorts of God's command to his people in the Old Testament. So please don't let me lose you this morning because I said Old Testament and Deuteronomy. All I'm saying this morning is that Luke says it's really important, church, for you to understand what's happening in Acts chapter 4, because we're going to go all the way back to say it's a fulfillment from Deuteronomy chapter 15, a command that God gave through Moses to the Jewish people. And here's why it's important, because God gave this command and Israel, listen, and history never did it. Israel never did it. They never actually fulfilled the year of Jubilee. They never actually obeyed the command that God gave. That's why the language of Acts 4 is so important. It doesn't speak to the church. Listen, it speaks to the church coming in and an essence of what it's actually meaning. Actually fulfilling this command that God gave to the Israelites, to the people of God. So Luke, in his language, is directly connecting the actions of the early church to at least the essence and the heart of what Jubilee is all about. It's the closest fulfillment the people of God had ever expressed and ever experienced. Luke's coming and saying, guys, you've got to recognize this is huge. So why does this matter? 
So that's why is it important, but why does it matter? Unlike any of the other gospel writers, a primary theme of Luke's writing involves the validity of faith in Christ being expressed how we handle our wealth and possessions in relationship to the poor. No, like, if you had to pick, name one of the gospel writers who is most invested into God's heart for the poor and the responsibility we have to them, it would be Luke. In Luke, generosity does not bring about salvation, i.e., we are not saved by helping the poor, right? We are saved by grace, God's work, we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. However, in Luke, true salvation and true faith in Christ must lead us to costly generosity towards those who need it most. The idea is this. Hey, you're saved by grace through faith, but if you are, then you will be generous with all of your time, all of your money, all of your energy, and all of your resources, specifically in context to relationship to those who are powerless and live in desperate need. If you don't believe me, Go study Luke for yourself. Here's some biblical references for you to go take a picture of and go read this morning. Or excuse me, read this afternoon, not right now. Wait till I'm done. Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 19. Go read Luke's understanding of Jesus' heart for our resources and our goods and our possessions as it relates to how we relate to the poor, how we relate to those most at need, as we relate to those most at risk. So we find what we find then in Acts 4.34 is Luke's theology of wealth, the poor, and the responsibility of God's people reaching its pinnacle. Like his theology, his understanding of God's heart for the poor, of our wealth and our responsibility, he goes, ah. Luke chapter 4, verse 34. Guys, church, we finally did it. We finally did it. We are showing our validity of faith and how we are expressing God's heart. True religion, what is this? To care for the orphan and the widow. Right? This expression of how do we care for the most at risk, the most poor, it's the pinnacle. The church is embracing their responsibility. Why did Luke put it here? It's real simple. Because he is proclaiming to people, do you want to know whether or not the church is actually the extension of God's people? Well, it is because they're the ones who are actually fulfilling God's command in Deuteronomy chapter 15 of the year of Jubilee and where it's happening. You want to know if the church is valid, the church is actually authentic, and it's chosen by God? Look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. They fulfilled Jubilee. All right, so for me, I named this the truly amazing because each, listen, so this comes back to us, right? So I just gave a little history, a little Bible history. Here's the point. Each of us by nature are survivalists. We fight for ourselves we strive to guard and protect our own interests, and we naturally view all of our resources and our finances as primarily a private possession, right? Something belonging to us and something to be used for us. 
And when challenged to give up our possessions, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard for all of us. If I come and say to you, hey, can you dip into your bank account and help me pay for my house so that I can keep a roof over my head? You're like, right. That's just really, really hard. Because we think about finances in light of how it provides necessities for us, our food, our shelter, education. If we're honest, we think about how it provides for our luxuries in life. So we can have two cars. You only need one. But it provides luxuries of two cars. It provides you want to go out to Moe's. I get it. It provides for meals out. It provides for vacations. You don't really need that big vacation. but It provides for that, right? It provides for your hobbies. Do you really do? I really need to go fishing all the time and buy you. I'm buying fishing gear. I have literally a stack of them. I have this much fishing lures, right? Do I really need this? Is that really, I'm being honest, is that really a necessity for me? Absolutely not, all right? I get it. You can convict me. I know, okay? I get it. But we love the possessions that we have because it provides for all of these things for us because we've all grown comfortable with the lifestyle that we are living. And we go read the rich young ruler and go, oh, don't say it to me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Don't look at me and say that, Jesus, right? I love you. If you really want everything, you can have it, but don't ask me to give it to you. Give it it all, right? You know what I'm getting at. All I'm doing is naming the tension that we all feel. It's a tension we all feel. This is why this story is truly amazing. Because a lifestyle of generosity, man, it's hard. In fact, I would name it impossible in my own strength. It requires a greater death to self and is more difficult than anything else I believe that we could do for Christ in our culture. That's why Luke is celebrating in Acts 4.34. It's why he wants everyone to know what they're doing. Because people have moved from private possessions, something only for them, to personal possessions. Something they possess but freely give to those who were in need. What a shift. What a gift. What a movement. What a dynamic move of thousands. Remember it says, and they were unified in heart in mind and honestly unified in action, thousands of people's hearts and thousands were added to their number that day when Peter proclaimed the gospel, right? So, so thousands of people's hearts, man, they were moved towards the fulfillment of the command of Jubilee in Deuteronomy chapter 15. That is amazing. It's truly the amazing, which leads me this, to this point many years ago. And I hope you've asked the same question because you should. Do you know that when you read scripture and it says things that are difficult, you should probably stop and process with the Lord what he means? Because what I find so often is people, they gloss over the things they don't want to read to get to the things that tell them what they want to hear. Right? Like, I've never done that in my life, right? So so in this, I see this, right? Many years ago, I was reading Acts chapter 4, and I asked this question in prayer to the Lord. I stopped and said, God, what or who compelled the whole of the church to embrace the essence of Jubilee, to answer Jesus' call to, to, to care for the poor, that seems so clearly in Luke, to stretch their survival instinct 
from self to self and everybody else. Like, what was the motivating factor? Was it, was it really good preaching? Man, did they get like, like a, like a five point sermon series in the temple with the early church and Peter and John and maybe even Luke coming along, right? And taking some time to preach these messages and, and people are like, oh, that's really a good message I need to embrace. Was it in the context of discipleship? Hey, let's go back to my house and we're going to eat. We're going to break bread together. We're going to pray. We're going to talk about the apostles teaching about your need to be generous. So that you can care for the poor, let's talk about the year of Jubilee. It was in the context of discipleship that they all felt convicted, maybe guilt-driven to go and do this thing. What was the cause? What was it? Well, good, good news. The second half of verse 34 and the first part of 34, excuse me, 33, last part of 33 and the first part of 34, it gives us the answer. It says this. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Let me just read that again. And God's grace, because I know too many Incredibles now, I get it, man, right? And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them Few in the apostles. No, it's in all, right? So powerfully at work in them all that there were, because all were embracing the call, there were no needy persons among them. The work, why? What happened? What moved, listen, what moved people? Simple. The work of God's grace. It is the only answer. It is the only answer. How many of you have heard messages in your life that you thought were right and great and you never did what you were convicted by? Right? I know I have. I know in some of those I just start tuning out. I just start tuning out. Oh, you said rich young ruler. I'm tuning out. I ain't going there, God. Right? Let's be honest. Man, no, man. God's grace is the answer. Grace, man, it's a huge biblical word, right, with different layers of meaning. But for me, in a really simplistic way, I think about it in this way, God's ability. God's ability. God's ability is gifted to us, not because we earned it, but simply because he knows that we need it. I give my life to Jesus, and grace is the work of God's Spirit in us. God's ability, God's movement, God's power. I can't make it happen. I can't earn it. I can't do it. I can't make myself want to give all that I have away. It has to be a work of grace, the work of God's spirit. Hear me say this. Work of God's spirit equals grace. They are synonymous. They can be interchangeable. And so in this, we have no ability to save ourselves, right? It's by grace. We have no ability to do the works of Jesus in our own strength. It requires grace, the work of God's Spirit. I'll be honest with you. There's no way to love, to love, L-O-V-E, agape. There's no way to love sacrificially 
apart from grace, the work and the person of the Holy Spirit in us. There's no way for me to choose humility again and again and again, to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. God's grace moving in me. Everything that happens is God's will in my life. Things that are outside of my ability requires the work of God's Spirit to empower us to do those things. His ability, His grace. You should know where we're going this morning. I named all of this stuff. I named the history. I named the theology of Luke. I named the truly, the, the truly amazing of God's Spirit. I just told you we can't do anything. We can't be the rich young ruler. We can't give away. Zacchaeus didn't give away everything. He only gave away half of what he had, right? Just, listen, Barnabas didn't give everything he had. He just gave a field to the Lord, right? I'm not going to, listen, let me just let you off the hook. I'm not going to tell you this morning to take everything that you have and go give it to the poor. That's God's, God's, God's job in you, right? So I'm not going to lead you to that place. What I'm going to lead you to this morning is simply this. How did the church take the first step in biblical history towards filling the command of Moses, right, of, of God through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 15? God's grace. The work of the person of the Holy Spirit in them, empowering them to step out of, listen, stepping out of their personal survivalism towards fighting for survival for all who had no means to produce survival in their own strength. What am I leading you to this morning? I'm leading you to a point of asking, are you fully surrendered? Are you willing to be fully obedient? Are you willing to say, Holy Spirit, have your way. I don't want to get in your way. I want grace, your ability to move without any obstacles in my life so that I can say, God, when you called me to come, you called me to come and to die to selfishness so that I could be raised to the truly amazing of selflessness in all that I'm doing with my time, my money, my energy, and my resources. And God, I'm not going to let anybody from stage tell me what I have to do and what I have to give. Holy Spirit, though, I want to give you permission to tell me anything that you want me to do. And then to pray. Here's the point. The second truth of the work of the Spirit is simple. People had to submit to and be obedient to the work of God's Spirit in them. They had to submit to and be obedient to the work of God's Spirit in them. I don't know if you know this or not. But we have an uncanny ability to choose disobedience. It's crazy. It's like, it's like we think about it, man. It's like we're really, really good at giving God a lot and holding on to this. We're really good at that. But the early church didn't. And it's why there was validity to their faith in the eyes of Luke for everyone else to see because thousands said, Everything, God, we submit to you and we will be obedient. We will be obedient to you. But we can choose disobedience. But here in Acts, they chose obedience. They said yes. And the Spirit did the truly amazing through them. It's Jesus calling you, David and Elaine, saying, give everything that you have. I'm just kidding. No. 
Today, I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit, according to the Scripture, has been sent for many reasons. To give, convict the world of sin, convict the world and the church of what's right, to be our comforter, to come alongside and empower us to do ministry. But here in this specifically, what I want you to see is that the Holy Spirit's come to empower and obedience. Hear this. This is the point. The Holy Spirit is here to empower and obedience that's impossible in your own strength. You want to name, like when you think about the things that God would have you do, and you get a little bit fearful, welcome to the places where the Holy Spirit wants to move. Do you define your faith based on what you're able to do or what the Holy Spirit can do through you? Do you live in fear of what you can't do or in faith of what the Holy Spirit longs to do and will do through you? It's the truly amazing. There were no sermons on doing money God's way. There was no guilt-driven message about caring for the poor. They're simply led by the Holy Spirit. They're led by the Holy Spirit to do the truly amazing and I would just say, I, I, I believe that God is calling you. The, the call this morning is to surrender. To be those who are radically obedient. With all that's been given to us, with our time, our money, our energy, and our resources. The primary way we talk about it at Vintage, obviously, is in foster care. We're going to come alongside. And you know, I just wonder, where does God, where people say, I just, people say all the time, I just can't do that. You're right. You can't. Randall and I are terrible foster parents. <laughs> Honestly, in our own strength, we're bad. We're like, we are very, we're like, we both, like, she's got some Greek in her. I just have sin in me, right? Like, I'm really quick to get angry. I'm really quick to get short with people, right? I'm like, I'm there. Like, I'm not really patient, right? Man, but I can't tell you, like, man, we'd be in foster care. I'm like, Oh, Jesus, I am the worst of all sinners. I got you beat, Paul. I really am. I'm terrible. God, I mean, I pray, Holy Spirit, I can't do it unless you, I mean, tears, unless you show up, I can't do it, right? How many of you have family members you just don't like and you don't, you can't love? And great, yeah, exactly. You got to love them anyway. Holy Spirit, I can't, only you can, right? In the context, even last night we were walking down the street. I'm so convicted this morning. I had to wake up and repent. We saw someone in the streets with their child there say they were just, they were, they were begging right last night. And we're just like in Atlanta. I'm like, uh, now this morning, this morning I had to, I had to repent before the Lord. I did not stop and show affection. I did not shop. I did not stop walking because it was in my own selfishness. I wanted to get home. I was tired and God later, even this morning, woke me up at six o'clock and said, as you do for the least of them, Steve, you do to me. God, forgive me. I prayed for her all morning. We're going to stop on the way home from the airport. I haven't told Randall that. We're stopping on the way home from the airport to see if she's still there. Why? Because the Holy Spirit wants to flow. He wants us to be radically obedient. He wants us to be the one that the liberal world says, oh, the church actually does do something life-giving. They are valid. God, do this in us. We surrender to you. We want the truly amazing. I want to be Mr. Incredible. The power of God's spirit. Amen. Right? All right, I was a little heavy-handed, sorry. So, you hear my heart 
Like I'm not, I'm not condemning. Like I'm, I'm so aware of my own issues. It's just a nice way of talking about things, isn't it? Issues. Jesus. All right. Here we go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your time and investment into us. We thank you for your great love for us and your affection. We thank you, Father God, that even in our God, even in our issues, God, you have great compassion because you know that we are frail human beings. You're not clueless. You understand the world in which we live. You were tempted in every way that we are, which means you were tempted by finances, Jesus. You were tempted by your resources. You were tempted, God, not to sacrifice. You were tempted to say, I don't want to do this, but not my will. Your will be done. You were empowered by your spirits to do the things that you did. You didn't do it in your own strength, with your own ability. So I pray this morning, God, that you would move in us. Amen. All right. So we're going to, so here's what I'm going to do. We're going to respond in a bit. Um, and here's what you're responding to me thinking about this. I'm going to invite Harvest to come up. We're going to just do a moment, kind of share some things going on in her life. But here's what we're looking to respond to. Everybody hear this. Take a deep breath. You are loved by Jesus. He is proud to call you his own. And he wants you to be Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. He wants to do the truly amazing. He wants to allow surrender to happen. He wants to empower. Listen, this is my prayer. Jesus, I can't surrender. Help me. I'm so bad at it. God, you know I'm really, really good at being disobedient. I'm not so great at being obedient. Lord, help me to be obedient. And then to name God, what are you calling me to in my obedience? Where are you calling me to surrender? Where are you calling me, Jesus, with my time, my, my money, my energy, and my resources to give of myself to those who are most at risk? Go read the news to see what some of those are. And let God this morning just begin to speak about the truly amazing that he wants to do through you and give him space to do that, okay? So when that happens, we're going to, these are our offering baskets. You know how it works. Offering baskets here for your worship this morning. Have your box back there and then your giving kiosk on an iPad outside if you can give online. We have our communion available every Sunday to remember the sacrifice of Jesus and how it is impacting us today. It's empowering us today. It's alive and real for us today. And then we'll have ministry teams, not right now, but in a few minutes, who will be available to come and to, um, to do ministry. So with that, we're, gonna, we're not going to play, guys, Aaron and Ben. So, Harvest, why don't you go ahead and come up. Pick up a microphone from Randall. We're going to be on the floor right here. You can bring lights up. So this is a, I know it's a hard, it's a hard shift, right? It's a hard shift. It's a, it's a hard message this morning. So, um, so this is Harvest, everybody. I don't know if you know who she is. She's been leading worship at Vintage for almost a, six years. Almost six years. Yep. And um, how many of you love Harvest? Yeah. And so, you know, it's literally a year ago next week. Uh, and you stand right here. I feel like you're looking at me. I feel awkward. So come stand next to me so you're supporting me. Okay. Thank you. Um, so, you know, a year ago next, thank you. I feel better now. Whew. A year ago next week, I stood before you at Vintage uh, on Sunday morning. And we talked about a difficult season going on in the life of Vintage and then harvest in the time of her husband Timothy's life. 
And we talked about in that season, man, we were going to go after restoration. We we're going to go after restoration and fight for this. And to be honest with you, things just didn't go the way we had hoped and anticipated. But in this difficult season, Harvest has given herself faithfully at Vintage. If you've been around, you know, man, it's like Harvest has grabbed hold of Jesus. She's been loved by Jesus and loved on Jesus in ways that have been, I just, I mean, it sounds hokey, but it's been inspiring, right? And, and she's faithfully given of herself. She's, she's loved you and, and she's received love from you. And it's just been amazing, right? But in the context of weeks ago, we were sitting down just talking about what God was doing in her life and this, this, this process that God continues to have her on of, of this personal healing, restoration, and forward movement. She just said, Steve, she said, I've been prayed. I, I feel like what God's saying is that the next step for me in process of his restoration and healing is outside of vintage. And I feel God calling me out. And, and so we came over. I made her tell Randall because I couldn't tell Randall. And then we kind of cried. And, and then we've just, we've had this moment because Harvest, the kind of what I, the language that I use is that Harvest is this unique mixture for me of like, of like little sister of daughter and great friend all mixed into one. And, and I just need you to hear me say, I love her with every part of my being. Like I'm proud of her with every part of my being. I'm so thankful for the hurt, the season that we've had. And, I'm, and I honestly, I sense the Lord's movement and the step out of vintage. I'm just praying it's for a season. I'm just being honest, right? But I just I support that. And so I want you to hear that. And so to, I'm going to give her just a second to share her heart this morning. Um, and, but I want you to hear me say, man, that, um, and I want you to hear me say, I just love you. And I'm thankful for you and all that you've done. And um, I think you're the best. So now your turn to share something. Oh, goody. And I'll support you. Okay. Um, I love you guys. I love vintage. And I think um, looking back on the six years, I feel like I went through just this roller coaster up and down of like, I'm in a funk. I'm mad at God, I'm mad at life, I'm, you know, it's just how life is, and um, I feel like you guys taught me how to worship well through it all, and um, not to be, I mean, I guess if we're doing heart gushes, we might as well just open the gates, right? Um, you really, like, restored my faith in church again. Um you know, I have the privilege of going to a lot of places, and I see a lot of churches and people and services and blah, blah, blah. And um, that's always been one of my struggles of just feeling cynical or feeling burned out or feeling just kind of like, what is the church even doing? I get angry, you know. And um, I will say, like, guys, this last year, 2017, um, like, hell opened up, right? And... Um, And you, you restored my, my faith in what a church is supposed to be, like what community is supposed to be. Like, I don't know what I would have done without you guys. I don't know what people do without your body, without your brothers and sisters, without your pastors. Like, I don't know what I would have done without the long, awkward hugs, you know, and the text messages and the phone calls and... Um, 
Like this is, you know, Steve was talking about it this morning. Like this is what church is supposed to be. This is God's wisdom. This is God's wisdom for us to have a group of people that you live with in community. That when everything hits the fan, like I said, when hell opens up, you know where you belong. And you know where you're going to be supported and loved. And that's what you guys did for me. And um, this past year, like, worship has been the most phenomenal time for me in my life. And you let me... You let me sing. You let me cry. You, I mean, a week after everything happened. And by the way, it's a year ago today. How crazy is that? How an amazing, like, circle, full circle, like, redemption. Like, I, I marked on my calendar, like, that's the day. Like, you know, almost as a, it's just a, tra- it's a traumatic thing. Like, today was the day, Father's Day, 2017. And I stand here a year later and I'm like God is so good he's faithful and my heart is alive and it's strong and it's beating and um and you guys just have such a huge part to play in that and a week ago a week later after I found everything I just remember Steve or somebody saying like well do you want to lead worship like you don't have to and I'm like oh no get me on that stage (laughs) like like like, my voice has never sounded sweeter to Jesus, like, in pain and in suffering. Like, my worship is going to be the best maybe it's ever going to be because I'm fragile and I'm hurting and I'm in pain. And you guys let me literally just ooze and leak and, and just flail and be awkward. And you were there with me. And I just, like, I have learned so much from you guys and just thank you for going there with me um i feel like we pushed limits we pushed the boundaries we we have tapped into something here um these past few years that i've been that i've been that i'm just like i'm so proud of us so proud of us for not not being willing just to have sunday morning church and and just sit and put our hands in our pockets and just leave you know like i'm I'm proud of us for Tuesday nights. I'm proud of us for responding during ministry time. Like, I'm, I'm just proud of us. And as I'm praying about vintage and I'm like, God, is there anything that you want to say before I leave? Like, is there anything that, I don't know, I can leave with them. And I just, like, I felt the Lord say, like, I've deposited things in vintage. Like, you've deposited things. I have deposited things. Deposited things. And I felt like he said, like, I'm going to come back for what I deposited. And there's still such a desire in my heart for revival here at Vintage. And I know you guys know that of me. If I ever have the microphone, I'm going to talk about, like, worship or revival. But God has done something here over the past years and I feel like he's he's leaving these deposits and I just feel the encouragement from the Lord he's like I'm going to come back for what I deposited what you deposit in prayer what you deposit as you preach what you deposit as you serve in the children's ministry what you deposit at the youth like what you deposit like what he deposits like he's going to come he's going to come for it you know he's jealous for it and I believe that vintage is going to be a place, a birthing place for revival. And every time I think of you guys, I'm going to pray for you. And um, I'm going to be uh, transitioning to the Square Church in Smyrna, so I'm not that far away. 
Um, but um, you guys, you guys have shaped and molded me into who I am, and you're always going to be a part of me. You have to be <laughs> like your family, you know. So um, I just love you and I thank you, and I want to hug all of you. And um, I think that's all I have. Amen. And you uh, always have a part here. You were a part of our family. So uh, if you would, uh, let's put hands forward for Harvest. We're going to pray for her. And I invite you to stand, actually. This is a sign of solidarity for for us with her, that uh, she is not alone. Even as she goes, this is still home. And so, Father, we just speak uh, blessing. And uh, we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would, that, Lord, the things that you're doing, you would bring to fruition. The maturing that you're doing in her, we say yes and amen. God, the future that you have for her, the dreams and the aspirations that you long for in her, God, we just say yes on earth. It's already been spoken in heaven over her in them. God, we praise you, Jesus, for her heart for revival, her heart for worship, and her heart for prayer. And we say, God, just in her obedience, God, would you cause all of those to just to become even more inflamed as a gas on the fuel on the fire, Lord, to burn in Jesus' name. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bless her, that, God, she would know your delight, God, that she would know your joy over her, that, God, she would know your divine affection, and that you would bless her. Jesus, we thank you for this time that we've had. We thank you that in time, God, she will come back and she will lead again, Lord, in time. And, God, we look forward to that. But in this season, God, we thank you, Jesus, that you were for her as you were for us. And we just speak blessing over her, Lord, as she goes. We commission her now in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. All right. Will you be sure to love on harvest today? That's the words, words of affirmation. Everybody hear this, words of affirmation and encouragement for her today. And with that, let me invite the worship team to come. I know we're already, like, we're like, this, we're like three minutes till service is over. But we're going to worship this morning. And uh, we're going to continue to move on. I want you to hear me say this. I know Gerilyn's going. I know harvest is leaving. The sky's not falling. All right. God is moving. Whether we can believe it or not, God is orchestrating and moving in all of these things. And I invite you to find the Lord in this season. If there are things that cause you to be unsettled, the unsettling is a gift from the Lord to always turn our face back to him. Peter sinking was a gift, but he would recognize, no, you have to look at me, Peter. You have to look at me. And so we're going to be a people who look at Jesus. And we're going to say yes to whatever he wants to do. And if it's to let people go, then we will let them go. We will bless them as they do. And so this morning, I invite you to respond, ministry teams. I would like to invite you to go ahead and come. And we're going to worship for a bit. Envelopes are here. We're going to, we're going to continue moving forward. Love on harvest. Tell her she's great. She is. Okay. So with that, Jesus. We officially end our service, Lord, but I pray that you continue to move in hearts. Bring us to a place of surrender. God, bring us to a place of obedience. We pray this in your name.